Listen, take your Bibles and turn with me today to a focal passage that is sort of a theme verse for us as we've been walking through this time. You'll find it in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 in the New Testament, one of Paul's teachings as he talked specifically to Timothy. And I love what he said to Timothy because as he was speaking to Timothy, it's almost like Paul was saying, Sidney, this is what I want you to tell the people of heritage. This is what I want you to grasp onto because this is so vitally important for all of us, all of us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, and this is what Paul, what he wrote, what he told to Timothy. He said, teach those who are rich and remind ourselves who are the rich. There are those of us that have more than what we need or deserve. What we need. Anybody in this room got more than what they need? Every one of us. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them not to use their money to do. Uh, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always be, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future, so that they may experience true life. Now, I think that any time. We talk about money and generosity in an environment such as this. There are people that get awful antsy, right? Yes, yes, I know that. There's some of you that may have to get up and go to the bathroom several times in the midst of this conversation. (laughs) I I understand. But let me say this right here. This isn't so much about what is wanted from you as is what is wanted for you you because this is what I know obedience leads to blessing are you with me when we are obedient to the Lord and we're listening not just carrying out the rules or the responsibilities or the duties of our Christian faith but when we're listening to the Holy Spirit and we're obedient there is blessing and if there's one thing that I want you to be able to experience in life I want the family of heritage to experience God's blessing I want you to experience blessing. But in addition to the blessing, there's also something else that comes along with obedience. You know what that is, Mr. John? A sense of peace. Is there anybody in this room today that would like to have just a little bit more peace in your life? We're showing you a set of videos because I found a resource that I felt like, oh man, I just I have to be able to share this with you guys because I felt like it was so impactful in my life that I told you, I told you last week, the first time that I began to watch this, I could so much identify because I thought that's where most of us are at. We're at the place in in this man's life, this family's life, and so many times it's, it's so easy for us to be able to miss it. And if you weren't here last week, you can go back and pick up online the video from last week because we're going to go on to week two. But before we go on to week two, for those of you that were here last week, let me see if I can sort of, I can sort of help you, remind you of what it was like. Um, Frank and his family, probably, I think we all could say, they were an upper middle class family. And if you were to take some assumptions, I would probably say that Frank and his family probably were in church all of the time. 
I would probably say that Frank, according to his thoughts, he was probably a pretty generous guy. But last week, we saw inside of the teaching that there was something that Frank learned about the good sheep and the stinky sheep, the best sheep and the stinky sheep. And if you are here, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and watch the video online. It'll help you identify with what I'm talking about. But there was something that Frank learned last week in a lesson from his son, Evan. Because when Frank was just about ready to give something that was good, his son gave something that was the best. It was a sacrifice. Well, today, we're going to pick up on this this storyline as we continue on. And what happens is after that, at the end of last week, we saw Frank standing out. He was standing out on the the, uh, lanai or the the, the porch where his pool and all of his research, I mean, it was just a, he came out of a conversation and he's standing out on the, on, the, on, the, on the porch and it was like the Lord spoke to him about really where his heart was truly at because it's not about what we're doing because see, we all see what we do, but the Lord looks down and even looks deeper into the heart of man and knows even the thoughts and the motives of our hearts. So we're going to pick this up today because Frank, we see Frank leaving the carport or that place where he was contemplating really the the issue of generosity and he has a dream that night. So pick up on this storyline with me as we watch this video clip. Give me something to work with here. I don't know what to tell you. These are some serious charges. Look, we're willing to plead down to six counts of possession with the intent to improperly distribute. Possession? No, no way. I don't do drugs. Drugs? Frank Donovan, these are very serious charges leveled against you. You're charged with loving money more than God. How do you plead? Not guilty. What is she talking about? Um, Your Honor, may I have a moment to confer with my client, please? If you must, but you know I don't care for stalling, Mr. Williams. Of, Of course, Your Honor. Look, brother, you need to get in the game here. What's all this loving money more than God stuff? That's what I've been trying to tell you. They're saying that you love the bread more than the baker. That's ridiculous. Of course I love God more than money. I hope so. They're calling the first witness. Your Honor, the prosecution calls Frank's money to the stand. That's my money? Hey, man. It's your dream. Please, sir, state your name. I am Frank's money. How would you describe your relationship with the defendant, Mr. Money? Well, we have an extremely positive relationship. I take good care of Frank. But of course, he's the boss. So you two are close? Oh, of course. Frank and I, we talk about everything. The future, our goals and dreams, where we want a vacation next, you name it. Mr. Money, have you ever seen Frank seek advice in your relationship? Sure. He seeks advice from his financial planner, Alan, all the time. Not to mention the various websites and analyst reports. And based on that advice, he controls me, cares for me, utilizes me as he sees fit. I certainly have no complaints. 
Thank you. Now, I do have one more question for you. Have you ever seen the defendant seek advice from God in your relationship? Mm, not that I can recall, but you'd really have to ask him. He sends me to church every once in a while, but as far as I know, Frank's the one calling the shots. I don't get the impression he's really into that sort of thing. Prosecution rests, Your Honor? Well, no, hold on a second. I'm good with my money. I, I give a lot. Mr. Donovan, I will have order in my court. Easy, brother. What about the giving? Uh, <clears throat> Your Honor, Frank's money is clearly a biased witness. Uh, money's been testifying against people since the beginning of time. We would like to let Frank's generosity speak for itself. I like to call Frank's giving to the stand. You thought this would help. State your name for the record, sir. I am Frank's giving. Hmm. Mr. Giving, uh, is it true that my client gives a portion of his finances, well, you away? Yes, every month. And could you please describe this activity to the court? I go to his church and various fundraisers. Frequently? Sure. So as you can see by this testimony, Your Honor, despite what money may say, my client faithfully sacrifices a portion of his income to give to others. Mr. Giving, the defense just made a claim that the defendant sacrifices a portion of his assets. Would you say that is accurate? I... Let me remind you, you are under oath. Well, uh... It depends on how you define sacrifice. Okay, how would you define it in the context of the defendant's use of you? Not sacrificing. Would it not, in fact, be more accurate to say that Frank Donovan views money as a tool for comfort and security, that he calls the shots, that he loves and even serves money, that true, generous living is a concept that is completely foreign to him? Never mind. No further questions? Thank you, Mr. Giving. Your testimony has been most enlightening. You may step down, sir. You should have played guilty. Could have been worse. Your Honor, I would like to call a rebuttal witness. We've heard from the defense's giving. The prosecution would now like to call the other 90%. What's up, Brian? That plea bargain's still on the table. Okay, okay, right there. I think we can jump ahead right here. Thank you, sir. You may leave. Would a defendant stand? Frank Donovan, you are charged with loving your money more than God. We have heard testimony from your money today and by your own suggestion from your givings. Mr. Donovan, do you own a Bible? Uh, yes, Your Honor. Had you looked at it more carefully, you would have realized that Jesus himself proclaimed the deceitfulness of the money that you so deeply loved. He also said that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot love both God and money. It seems your choice is clear, Mr. Donovan. 
You are not who you claim to be, a generous person. Therefore, I have no choice but to find you guilty. 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 Guilty, guilty, guilty. That's pretty intense, huh? Any thoughts? I want you to write down three words with me. Will you do that? If you have something you write on. First thing I want you to write down is, is money. Let me ask you a question today. If your money, if your money were to talk, what do you think that it might say about you and your relationship if your money were to talk, what do you think it might say about you and your relationship with money? Frank's immediate response when he was questioned about his relationship with God and about the relationship with money was, well, of course I love God more than money. I mean, how many of us would say the exact same thing? Well, of course I love God more than money. Write down the word management. Write down the words management. Here's a question. How many of you think that life would be so much better if you had more? You ever thought about that? Life would be so much better just if I had some more. I mean, don't we work for more? I mean, isn't that one of the reasons we work so hard and work so many, so many longer hours is because we want more? But what does having more mean? What, is, what does more mean? I want to I take you back a few verses from our theme verse, and I, wanna, I want you to look back at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to read a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 as Paul talked about financial security. And this is what he said, Yet true godliness, in verse 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. True godliness, living for the Lord, with contentment in itself is great wealth. Verse 7, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. You've probably heard that said. Here's the verse. Verse 8, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. What's the opposite of content? Discontent. Discontent means dissatisfaction, not enough, wanting more. And here's the truth about discontentment. The truth about discontentment, it is like an appetite. The more you get, the more you want. Are you with me? 
Discontentment. The more you get, the more you want. And the only way to break discontentment is to starve it to death. That's the way. If you want to break the appetite, you've got to be able to starve it. Appetite only shrinks by deprivation, by saying no. Verse 9, but people who long to be rich, who aren't content and aren't satisfied, I'm adding that in there, people who feel like they don't have enough, fall into temptation or trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. What are some of the sorrows that you think that we have the ability to, ex to experience because all of a sudden money becomes the love and becomes the master of our lives? What are some of the sorrows that maybe Paul was referencing? Debt. Tremendous amounts of debt. Not manageable debt, wise debt, but tremendous amounts of debt. What's another sorrow? Loss of relationships. What else? Not being able to bless others. Okay. What's another thing? Sorrows here. What? Morals? Overindulgence? See, we'd a whole lot rather talk about money than food, right? It's easy for me to do that. But it's easy for us when we have more than what we need to overindulge. And all of a sudden, that leads to a life of sinfulness. Have pierced themselves with many sorrows. And according to this passage of Scripture, the crux or the center of the problem, it isn't money. But the problem is what? It's the love for money. It's the, it's the dissatisfaction with what you have. Because what you have is never enough. It's never enough. There's always a desire for more. And what happens is that temptation, this is what this is always remember this. Temptation, Satan tempts us to draw us away from God. Trials we walk through, and God allows us to walk through trials to bring us closer to Him. But Satan tempts us because he wants to draw us away from God. For the love of money, the love of money affects how we, how we manage our time, our money, and our relationships. But see, here's, a, here's a, even a deeper question. Let's not focus so much on the 10% as we could really get stuck on here, but what about the other 90%? What about the other percentage that maybe that you're not using? I mean, what happens to that percentage? You may give 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 percent, but how do you spend the rest? You remember the guy that came out? You know, how do you spend that other 90 percent? See, maybe you show up at church and maybe you put some money in a tithe box, you sing some songs and you attend a missional community. You might even volunteer and serve in the children's environment. But what happens the other percentage of time that you're not here inside of a church building or with church people? What happens to your life? How then do you live? See, you might tithe the 10% or you might tithe more, but what are you doing with the rest? 
What are you doing with the rest? Do you, do you sort of give that 10 and live as if, man, do with that 10. Man, God's alive and God is well, but all of a sudden that 90% and there's no, God doesn't even exist in that other 90% world. He's not even there. You live the rest of the time as if God isn't even present. You may give a tithe, and you may tithe out of duty or responsibility or way, even the way that you were raised, but the rest of your life, it's not about the duty or the responsibility. It's about the heart. Generous living isn't as much about the percentage as it is about our hearts. See, generous living isn't so much about how much we have or how much we don't have. It's not so much about how much we give, but it's how we manage or steward the resources that God has entrusted to us. How we steward the resources that God has blessed us with. How we treat those resources and that God has, has, has enabled us to have. And see, it all goes back to stewardship, all goes back to ownership. Who's in control? Is it mine? Or is it God's? Is it mine so I can do with it as I want? Or am I a steward and a manager of the resources that God has blessed me with? God is the owner of everything. And when we recognize that he's the owner, it impacts the bottom line. I want you to write down this last word. Master. Master. Does anybody like the word guilty? Man, she was pounding on that gavel. Guilty, 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 guilty. That's not a word that I really want thrown my way. Is guilty. The judge said Frank was guilty, but what was he guilty of? I mean, here's Frank, guilty in a court of law, but what was he guilty of? Uh, was he guilty for not putting enough in the tithe box or the offering plate? Or was it the mishandling and the mismanagement of the money that God had entrusted him with? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either you will hate one and love the other, and you will be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, this is really what Frank was guilty of. It was idolatry. Because Frank had put money above God. Now, I know that you've never done that. I know that you've never done that because of your deep love and conviction. And I know that you guys believe without a shadow of a doubt that God is the owner of everything. Right? See, the problem wasn't Frank's money. The problem was his heart. Generosity isn't just a financial principle, but it's a response to the love of the Lord. And when our hearts are in tune to what God is doing and what he says, it's amazing how it changes our lives. Who's your master? Who sits on the throne of your life? Money? Stuff, people, food, entertainment, position, or Jesus? 
Who sits on the throne of your life? If Jesus is truly the master, then how is your life reflecting the master's priorities? We didn't do this last week, but I, I want to finish up because a part of this, there is a, like a two-minute teaching clip that we're using in our, in our missional communities. And I want you to be able to see this because I think it brings us all to the head as we begin to close out. Brian, you want to show this? Guilty is not a word we're used to hearing much these days. Guilty pleasures are in, guilt trips are out. Frank had a very convicting dream in which he was judged guilty. He was convicted not just by the judge, but by his own heart. He was giving God the leftovers, the time left over after he had done everything that really mattered to him. The money left over after he had paid for everything he wanted. There's this amazing image in James 5. Some people are hoarding their money rather than using it to help God's children. And God tells them, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion testifies against you. They also aren't paying their employees fairly. And he tells them, the wages you fail to pay your workers are crying out against you. Stored money, spent money, both were testifying guilty. If your money could talk, what would it say? Yes, sweaty palms? <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with money or budgets. It's okay to like money. But the Bible tells us you cannot serve both God and money. Everything in your life is either an idol or a tool. Is your money an idol or a tool to serve the Lord? Money talks. What would your money say about you? What would your time say, your talents? Living generously is about living with a heart so full of love for God that it overflows to others with the best of all we have. Are you experiencing that life now? How do you bleed? So talk to me for a second and tell me what you're hearing. What are you hearing? Not what I'm saying, but what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? As you listen, what are you hearing? Because it's easy to get caught up in the duties and the responsibilities. But what are you hearing? Talk to God. Ask Him how to spend the resources that He's entrusted you. Yes. We're to be a steward. Day? Reevaluate how you spend the money that God has entrusted you with. Mm -hmm. Say that again. Money's a metaphor. That's right. He don't. God doesn't need your money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It's really the heart. 
I mean, we say we trust God, but we'll keep an extra $5 bill in our back pocket. What do you think the whole purpose of the children of Israel walking around in the wilderness was? It was about disobedience, but it was also about learning to trust God. It's difficult for us to learn to trust God when we have more in our back pocket than what we need. We come to church and we act like we, we trust God. What happens? How many of us be willing to give away any extra that we had to say, God, I'm going to trust you day in and day out from now on out for daily manna? That when I get up in the morning, I don't know where that food's going to come from, but I'm going to trust you to provide it. For my clothing, I'm going to trust you to provide it, God. For my housing, I'm going to trust you to be able to provide it. But see, no, we got those safety nets. We say we trust God, but... Yes, Mr. Post. The importance, financial counsel is wise. Financial advisors, that's a wise move, but make sure the person that you're counseling with is a, is a, is a, is a Bible-believing counselor that trusts the Lord. It's your time. You're getting it, Sherry. You're getting it. You're getting it. Yeah. Anybody else? What are you hearing? Because I know sitting in, in an environment like this, when you see, I know there's a lot of stuff that can go on in your mind, and you can leave, and you can feel guilty. And I don't want you to feel guilty. I just want you to listen to the Lord's voice. It's the only thing I want from you. Mr. Bill. Give the Lord first. Give him, the, give him the best. Not the stinky sheep. Give him the best. The best. If you don't know what we're talking about, go back and watch the video online from last week. Listen, here's my challenge for you this week as we close up. This is my challenge. If your money were put on trial, how would it testify? Would it testify for you or against you? Second thing. Are you willing to take time out of your schedule this week as you go to say, Holy Spirit, will you speak to me? Are you willing to say, Lord, would you convict me in certain areas of my life that may need to be realigned? That's all. See, some of you are missing out on the blessing of, of serving because truly money is your idol. You're missing out on the joy of what it's like to be part of the family of God and participate in those arenas. Glenn, it had to be great the other day. I know what it's like sitting and being able to serve those food and pray with those people that come through and talk to them. And Hannah, just as a testimony, for the people that I always talk to, they always say that they're so kind to us at Beyond the Walls. It's not just a food pantry. But it's a place of ministry, of ministering to people. Food is the tool, but we utilize that tool. But are you willing this next week to just sit and ask yourself, Lord, is there something in my life that needs to be realigned in reference to my time, my talents, and the resources that you have given to me? Maybe, see, it would be easy for some people to say, but you just, I can't do that. But you know what you can do? You can write an encouraging card. You can make a phone call. 
See, how do you use what God has given you for, for a kingdom, from a kingdom perspective? This is what I know. For us to be able to do that, some of us are going to have to take self off the throne and make an exchange. Because that isn't what I might want to do. But for there to be change, Jesus on the throne, it might totally rearrange all of our lives. Because it just ain't about money. Would you bow with me? Father, my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit has spoken through the venue of, of video, through the spoken word. Father, I pray that your people, that, that we've heard, when we walk out of these doors, we're taking something with us that we're going to chew on over this next week. We're going to ask the questions about how would my money testify? We're going to ask the questions, Lord, is there something in my life that needs to be realigned? But the biggest question of all is who is on the throne of our lives? And if you've never trusted Jesus, maybe there's somebody here. Maybe that's the decision that needs to be made this week. The most important decision of all is trusting and coming to follow Jesus. It's when we come to the place that we say, I recognize that I'm a sinner and that Jesus died for my sins and I have no hope in anything else, not in my wealth, not in my position, not in my popularity, but only in Jesus. Jesus, will you save me? And if that's you today, would you come see me this morning and just say, I need a personal relationship with Christ. Father, help us as we walk out these doors, not to just be good Sunday goers. Father, not just to be comfortable with, with putting a tithe in, a, in an offering box. Father, not to be satisfied with because we serve in a specific area. But may we constantly be asking the question, Lord, how do I live a generous life because I serve a generous God? Thank you for, for blessing us. Thank you, Lord, for the, for the gifts, for the talents, for what you've blessed us with as a family. And Father, may we be faithful to share and to be generous. May we recognize that you are the owner of everything. Help us, Father, as we walk along this journey of faith. May we be your ambassadors. May we be a light for you. May it not be about buildings and may it not be about programs, but it may it be about the lives that we live. Help us in that, Father. That's what I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.